Now's the time to have the bull at your back with Merrill. Learn more at MerrillLynch.com bullish. Investing involves risk. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated, registered broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, member SIPC. I'm Ed Baxter. And I'm Denise Pellegrini. Welcome to Bloomberg Wealth with David Rubenstein, part of our Best of Bloomberg series. Now, in this episode, we hear from Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital, about cryptocurrencies. Of course, Bitcoin, Ed, has lost a lot of its luster. It's worth, what, less than uh, half what it was a couple years ago? Yeah, and uh, not only Bitcoin, a lot of other cryptocurrencies have been hit hard, too. But, of course, cryptocurrencies still have a lot of supporters, and some are still claiming, you know, it's pretty much digital gold. That's right, and, and that's why this is so interesting to hear Mike Novogratz talk about it. That's right, because he is so convinced that it could skyrocket from here. And he has some specific reasons why it could go higher soon. Including uh, the possible development of a Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, right, Denise. And we just had Kathy Wood, the CEO and CIO of ARK Investment Management, tell us here at Bloomberg, the SEC will approve not only one Bitcoin ETF, but multiple Bitcoin ETFs at the same time. Yeah, that would really be something. And ARK is among those, by the way, in line for approval for a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund. And on the other hand, uh, there have been a flood of crypto scandals and other problems with regulators. Yeah, no shortage of those either. And here is David Rubenstein with Novogratz of Galaxy Digital, all about the good, the bad, and the ugly on crypto, but uh, mostly the good. Let's listen in. So you are one of the leading advocates in the world for cryptocurrencies. You've made a fair amount of money. It is reported in cryptocurrencies. I assume you've lost some when, when it went down a little bit. But uh, what propelled you to be interested in cryptocurrencies? When did you first get interested in it? You know, I got a call from Pete Brigger, who was actually my partner at Fortress, who was probably the least likely to call you about cryptocurrencies. But he had moved to California and everyone was talking about a thing called Bitcoin. So he called me up, he said, what do you know about Bitcoin? And at that point I knew nothing. And so I did a quick dive into it and quickly realized it's a macro asset. I spent my life as a macroeconomic investor. So you got started and you bought initially what? You know, I bought, uh, it was trading about $100, $95. You mean for Bitcoin? For Bitcoin. We ended up calling Dan Moorhead, who had run a hedge fund that I had backed. I said, Dan, look into this. Like we're thinking about this. And Dan came back and said, this might be the most important innovation of our lifetime. I was like, oh, that's, and Dan was, went to Princeton with us. He put a lot of money into it. And, you know, I was a lot richer than Dan at the time. So I said, I've got to put at least that much in. <laughs> and so we end up, we bought a su substantial amount, you know, about $3 million each. $3 million of Bitcoin. And Bitcoin was $100 At $100, yeah. And Bitcoin is now, I think, around 31000 of Bitcoin. Roughly 30,000. And it went as high as 70,000 at one yes. point. So when it went from 70,000 to 16,000, were you getting nervous? You know, it went from 8,000 to 70,000 uh, as a response to COVID, as a response to the reaction to COVID, right? When every central bank in the world just flooded the world with money. As a macro asset, it was supposed to go up and then come back down, and it did. It went further than it should have because in the excitement of building this crypto industry, we attracted a lot of frauds, uh, you know, bad actors, criminals. Well, there's one person I interviewed once, I met about a year or so ago, named Sam Bankman-Fried. <laughs> uh, were you shocked at what happened there? You know, yes. 
And I spent a lot of time with Sam. I didn't invest with him. Uh, I always thought their valuation was too high. Uh, but he was kind. He was always helpful to me. We lost money. Uh, we, we didn't invest with them, but we used them as an exchange. And people ask me, well, if you didn't invest, you were a little leery. I was like, I just never assumed I'm dealing with a sociopath. Uh, it's hard to risk manage against that. But do you think that really hurt the industry for some time? It certainly did. And, and it wasn't just Sam, right? We had Celsius, Alex Machinsky, who's now been arrested. Uh, there are four or five, three arrows capital of either guys that started off as frauds or that as the, the heat got turned on, made really, really bad risks. So the ones that got hurt were, I think, three arrow. Three arrows. Terra. Terra. One. Right. And um, FTX, obviously. FTX. And Celsius. Celsius. BlockFi is another one. So you were a big supporter of Terra. I was. And I was told you have a tattoo (laughs) on you somewhere. I do. Good reminder of uh, hubris uh, at times. Can you tell us who the inventor of Bitcoin is? Well, Satoshi Nakamoto is is the, the inventor. Nobody knows. And I quite frankly, I think if we knew... Bitcoin might not be where it is. Like what gives something value isn't the technology, it's the social construct. You say it's valuable, I say it's valuable, therefore it's valuable. And I think if we knew who the inventor of Bitcoin was, we'd be a little more skeptical of saying, ah, I'm gonna buy into this as a place I store my value. Like there's something about the mystery of not knowing who Satoshi is. So we don't know who Bitcoin founder is, but uh, we do know that Bitcoin is by far the leading cryptocurrency. And you think we'll remain that for a while? I do. I think, I think what's neat about Bitcoin is it's a finished product. It doesn't have to change to fulfill its destiny, right? The other parts of crypto, we're, we're, we're in a, a build and get better phase. But Bitcoin's done. It, it functions perfectly as digital gold. And all we're in now is an adoption cycle. I think the most important thing that happened this year in Bitcoin is Larry Fink. Uh, he got orange-pilled, as we say. Orange-pilled is when you take a non-believer and you make him a believer in Bitcoin. And Larry was a non-believer. And now he says, hey, this is going to be a global currency. Uh, people around the world all trust it. Well, BlackRock is the biggest asset. BlackRock is now doing an ETF or trying to do an ETF for Bitcoin. Yes. Is that a big change in the industry? Yes. For, for Larry in particular, right, who, who was the CEO of this iconic company to say, I believe in this, right? That, that's kind of huge because, again, like when Elizabeth Warren says, well, I don't believe in Bitcoin, I'm like, well, Elizabeth, Larry Fink does, Stan Druckenmiller does, Jeff Yoss does, uh, the richest person in your state, you know, uh, Abby Johnson does. Like, just because you do doesn't mean it's not real. By the end of this year, where do you think Bitcoin will be? You know, there, there are two major factors that I'll give you. One is when the Fed pivots. The moment the Fed starts cutting, Bitcoin will go a lot higher. And when we get this ETF adopted. And so I think you, you could be substantially through the old highs once those two things happen. Let's talk about your background a moment. Uh, you grew up in Northern Virginia? I did. And what did your parents do? Yeah, my dad was a career army officer and my mom was a career hustler. Uh, housewife, antique, you know, s- selling. At one point she was a waitress. Uh, and you had a fair number of siblings? I have, I one of seven, I'm the third of seven. So four boys, three girls. Uh, we used to say four boys, three girls, two bathrooms. Uh, and one was my parents. Or the army salary, a military salary, seven kids, you probably didn't have a lot of money growing up. We, we were straight middle class. So you were a star wrestler in high school, and I think you were the Virginia state champion? 
I lost in the finals with about four seconds left, which I still wake up about once a month thinking about. Well, what happened to the person who beat you? He presumably is not a, a Bitcoin uh, billionaire. No, he's not. He's not. So, so in the long run, maybe I should stop thinking about him so much. But So you did well in high school, and you must have done well academically as well because you went to Princeton. I did. Right. So when you graduated, what did you do? I went to the Army. I was a helicopter pilot uh, in Fort Rucker, Alabama. What a great year. Uh, I'd done ROTC to help finance Princeton. After you left the military, did you say, I want to be a trader, I'm going to go to Goldman or something? I actually went to Washington, D.C. I said, I want to work in D.C. I met a, an ex-Princeton guy who had been the assistant secretary of the Army. And he said, son, go to Wall Street and make some money. You can come back to D.C. when you're 40 or 50. I went to Wall Street. I lived on my friend's couch and got a job at Goldman Sachs as a money market salesman. Was it easy to get a job at Goldman Sachs? You didn't have any background in this area. You know, I walked in and I made this pitch that, I was a star wrestler and I was in the army and the guy said, well, how do you know you're gonna be able to handle the pressure of Goldman Sachs? And I said, have you ever flown a helicopter and been talking to air support and shooting at people at the same time? I was like, no. Well, I hadn't either, but I said that. And so they hired me. And did you become a partner at Goldman? I became a partner in 1998. Uh, Is that before they went public? That was right six months before they went public. So it was so a good you, time to be you were a partner when they went public? I was. Okay, well, that's pretty good. I've had three IPOs, Goldman, Fortress, and Galaxy. So you became a partner at Goldman, and then how many years were you there before you decided to leave? Only about a year and a half uh, and took off. It was one of the, the, the least glamorous chapters of my life. Uh, and uh, I'd become the president for Goldman Latin America and then got myself in trouble that I would refer to as too much wine, women, and song. And so okay. I... I left with my tail between my legs. Pete Brigger, my old partner from Goldman and classmate called me and said, hey, let's work together. And so. So you started Fortress? Fortress, Wes Edens had started it earlier, but it was about a 40 person company. So Pete and I bought into that partnership. So you ultimately left Fortress to start your own firm. Is that right? I started a family office and realized family office is a pretty nice way to make a living. Everyone comes, they shine your shoes, they give you ideas. And I wasn't going to go back to work unless I could find something that I could work with young people, uh, that I learned something new, uh, and that I could make a difference. And crypto kind of blew up again, and I was like, blew up in a good way. And I was like, learning venture, uh, working with a ton of young people, and had this role in the community as a senior voice that had been in institutional finance. That was Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital on Bloomberg Wealth, with David Rubenstein. And coming up, we'll hear more from Novogratz about crypto. Including more about regulators and some of the problems with the SEC. You're listening to Bloomberg Wealth with David Rubenstein, part of our Best of Bloomberg series. And this is Bloomberg. I'm Ed Baxter. And I'm Denise Pellegrini. And you're listening to Bloomberg Wealth with David Rubenstein, part of our Best of Bloomberg series. And in this episode, we are hearing from Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital, all about crypto. And Novogratz has a lot of complaints about all the regulations on crypto. Yeah, he sure does that. And he seems to have some pretty strong feelings, we'll say about it, which is understandable considering he's such a crypto fan. Now, he certainly seems to be uh, tracking events in Washington related to Bitcoin very closely. Of course he is. And he's also closely watching, he says, what happens with Sam Altman and WorldCoin, 
which is also running into some challenges. So here's David Rubenstein with Mike Novogratz, head of Galaxy Digital, on all of that. So today, uh, tell us what Galaxy is. How big is it? We have a sales and trading business where we make markets, derivatives, lending, kind of a classic sales and trading business for people in crypto. We have an asset management business where we manage other people's money, an investment banking business, and then an infrastructure business where we do mining, staking as a service, uh, helping on the infrastructure of the company. So today, um, you are the CEO and the founder. You intend to do this for the foreseeable future? For the foreseeable future. You're younger than me, but in the crypto world, you're an older man compared to some of the teenagers that are doing this. So are you the grand old man of the uh, crypto world? I'm one of them. I, I, I joke around all the time that I'm the oldest guy in crypto, but I think I've got one or two guys that are roughly my age. The SEC uh, said that Ripple was a currency and uh, or security, I should say, and therefore they sued uh, Ripple, arguing that Ripple shouldn't be able to do what it wanted to do, and the SEC lost in federal court. Is that a big victory for the crypto industry? Or do you think the SEC is going to appeal? I think the SEC probably appeals. I think it was a huge victory. And it's a victory mostly in that, forget who was right or who was wrong. Gary Gensler at the SEC has been saying over and over, the rules are clear, just follow the rules. And we had a federal judge that said, the rules are nothing close to clear. But our, our stance, Mike Novogratz's galaxies and the whole industry stance has been, help us get clear rules because they're not clear. And so I think loud and clear, the message was, Gary, you've been wrong that the rules aren't clear and, and Congress has to get its tail in gear to get us some rules. Now, Coinbase is one of the best known companies in the crypto industry. It makes markets for people that want to trade in crypto. But the SEC has recently taken action against uh, Coinbase and argued that it's doing things that are illegal. What is your view on that? Listen, I think Brian Armstrong is brave and, and he's, it's an interesting strategy to fight this in public. He's like, this is unfair. And what he's saying, in essence, what I just said, the rules weren't clear. The approach from the SEC to regulate through enforcement and to really thwart our industry, which feels like it's come from Elizabeth Warren and Sherrod Brown and maybe Lyle Brainerd and a few people, uh, we called it choke point 2.0 operation, uh, seems obvious and is just un-American. And it feels like the crypto community is tough and resilient. One of the things I learned is these communities don't go away. They believe, I mean, I have a tattoo of Bitcoin. You know, there is a religious zeal to people in the Bitcoin community. The U.S. government is probably not a big fan of crypto. I think it's fair to say the current U.S. government. So are you worried that the U.S. government will impose regulations on crypto that might thwart the growth of the industry? Well, the U.S. government has been thwarting the growth of the industry, right? Gary Gensler and the White House, uh, Gary at the SEC, has been regulating through enforcement in a really, what I think is unfortunate and unfair way. Uh, the tax that they've put on companies like ours is extreme. We'll spend $10 million on our audit. A normal audit should have cost $3 million. Crypto should be bipartisan. And it was heading that way until Sam Bankman-Fried blew up and the Democrats felt stupid. And that opened a window where Elizabeth Warren and Sherrod Brown and the few anti-crypto progressives decided crypto wasn't progressive, which is crazy because I can't think of anything more progressive than it's, crypto. It seems to me that the Republicans on Capitol Hill seem to be more supportive of the crypto industry than Democrats. Much is that more, fair? Much more. And is that because they like free market economics or what, what's the reason you think? You know, 
crypto is complicated, right? Bitcoin is a freedom, right? It's freedom. It's to keep the government out of my business. Uh, and so we, we, even when we think about stable coins, we will have stable coins in every country in the world. So stable coin is a digital representation of the national currency. You can have them like China, where the central government knows every penny you spend on what you spend it on. Or you can have them very decentralized, where the government, where they look, look and feel a lot like just digital cash and anything in between. And so it's a real important debate. Uh, the Republican side is more freedom. But outside of the United States, a number of countries are encouraging uh, crypto companies to come there because they say we have better regulation or less regulation. So do you think the U.S. will lose itself as a center of crypto industry? Uh, to we, we are, slowly but surely, more and more. I mean, you see uh, A16Z is setting up in, uh, in, in a big office in London. We are moving more people to Hong Kong and to London. Um, and so it's frustrating. I think in the long run, crypto needs the U.S. Like, it's hard to have a global system without the biggest economy. But it is unbelievably unfortunate how long it's taking us. Now, your company is headquartered in New York, where we are now. Do you envision actually taking your company offshore and headquartering offshore because there are more favorable regulations to cryptocurrencies? We're going to move parts of our company offshore, but I, I just love this city, and so I don't see us not being in the U.S. or being in New York, but we'll, we will move substantial pieces. Now, recently, Sam Altman, who's famous for um, his involvement with, uh, with artificial intelligence, has his own new Bitcoin version, I guess not Bitcoin, but a cryptocurrency called WorldCoin. Now, WorldCoin supposedly uses the, the uh, retina to, to identify the user. Uh, do you think this is the future or? You know, digital identity is really, really important and it hasn't been cracked yet. Um, there's lots of ways we can identify people. We can buy attestation. I know David Rubenstein, therefore he's David Rubenstein. I can attest to it, right? Through a government licensing problem. You have a driver's license, right? You can have a digital version of that. Um, biometrics is a piece. It's scary to give up your biometrics, in essence, just for free or for <laughs> to be able to get this coin. Uh, but it might work, right? We do it on Bloomberg. Every time we log into Bloomberg, we put our fingerprint down there. Uh, and, and so how we decide how important privacy is and who gets the data and who gets to do what with the data is really important. So uh, you think there will be uh, this, this new uh, world um coin will take off or it's too early to know? You know, I think you don't want to bet against Sam Altman right now. <laughs> and so I think the price potentially could go a lot higher because there's a, an AI hype cycle. I don't know if we will all use that as our identity. So for the average person who doesn't know much about cryptocurrencies, but wants to participate in something that he or she thinks is going to be around for a while, what do you recommend that they buy the, the coin themselves, the currency themselves, buy your stock? Uh, have somebody like you advise them? What should the average person do? Yeah, I think the average person should either stick to Bitcoin, Ethereum, and my stock, uh, or do a whole lot of homework themselves or have an advisor. It's a, you know, post-COVID, with all the free money that the government was giving away, there was a casino, uh, and everyone was trading these coins, and they were trading on momentum, and, and people made a lot of money and lost a lot of money. Uh, in the long run, for things to have value. Communities need to believe it and there needs to be utility. And you've been listening to Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital on Bloomberg Wealth with David Rubenstein.
Now, coming up, Novogratz has a little bit of advice about investing and who Novogratz's mentor was in terms of investment philosophy. Plus, Ed, some of the biggest mistakes that crypto and other investors frequently make, according to Novogratz. And where you should put your money right now if you have a long enough time horizon. And this is Bloomberg Wealth with David Rubenstein, part of our Best of Bloomberg series. And this is Bloomberg. I'm Ed Baxter. And I'm Denise Pellegrini. You're listening to Bloomberg Wealth with David Rubenstein, part of our Best of Bloomberg series. And in this episode, we're hearing from Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital, about crypto. Including his investment advice for all of us, Ed. So here's David Rubenstein with Novogratz. Let's listen in. So a couple final questions. Um, if What's the best investment advice you've ever received? It probably comes from Paul Jones, and he talks about the pain of the gain, that most great fortunes are made in trend. And so you see a big trend. And what happens, think about Bitcoin. If I had sold Bitcoin when it went from 100 to 200, and I doubled my money and I would have been walking around like a, a rooster and high-fiving all my friends, when you're in trend, stay in trend. And, and we call it the pain of the gain. I say sometimes you have to handcuff yourself to the chair so you can't hit the sell button. What is the most common mistake you see investors making? The most common mistake is greed. It's, you know, they have a great return and they want 10x. Early on in crypto, before I had a public company, all these wrestling coaches would call me and I'd say, hey, you should buy this token. They always want to know what token to buy. And they'd buy a token, it would go up. And then I would sometimes call them and say, hey, I'm selling, you probably should sell. And they wouldn't sell. And I was like, you asked me what token, I'm in the middle of the universe, why aren't you listening to me? Well, their friend Joey was telling them not to sell. And I was like, who the hell's Joey? <laughs> you know? And I realized they had made good money, but not enough. It hadn't changed their life. And everyone wants to you know, hit the lottery ticket. And that's just not the way it works. Where would you recommend a person with $100,000 take that money and invest it? You know, if they were young and had a high risk tolerance, I'd be buying Alibaba stock. I'd be buying silver, gold, Bitcoin, and Ethereum. That would be my portfolio. If they had a lower risk tolerance, I'd say put 30% in a portfolio like that and the other 70% in you know, the bonds and maybe an index fund. And you've obviously done quite well in the uh, cryptocurrency world. Is there another world beyond cryptocurrencies you're looking at, something that's going to be the next great thing or not yet? Um, you know, biotech fascinates me still. Uh, you know, what worries me, actually, from a societal perspective is we have these technological advances that are happening so fast in health and healthcare and biotech and gene editing. And yet we have cities like Kinshasa where 13 million people don't have electricity. Uh, and so we're hurtling to a world that looks like Blade Runner, where this elite group of people live this life we could never have imagined. And they have the masses that are in this teeming soup. Um, but I think when I think of it, those big changes, biotech is still a, a pretty interesting spot. And that was Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital on Bloomberg Wealth with David Rubenstein, part of our Best of Bloomberg series. All right, we're going to stick with crypto because we had a chance for an in-depth discussion with Kathy Wood, the CEO and CIO of ARK Investment Management. And here are Bloomberg's Matt Miller 
Eric Balchunas, and Katie Greifeld with Wood on Bloomberg ETF IQ, starting with that topic out of Bitcoin ETFs and also some other news headlines we've been tracking closely here at Bloomberg and the impact of all that on the price of Bitcoin. Let's listen in. You've got your own filing for a uh, uh, physical, physically backed Bitcoin ETF. Um, do you think that the excitement there has driven up prices across crypto? I mean, today is a down day, but we're still looking at $29,000 for Bitcoin. Uh, yes, I do think uh, that the, in June, when BlackRock uh, announced its filing, or when it was announced that uh, BlackRock had filed for Bitcoin ETF, uh, the Bitcoin price did shoot up, uh, and but has been fairly stable since then. Uh, so I, I do think it's had an impact. A, a bigger impact this year was the regional bank crisis. It was very interesting to watch Bitcoin uh, go from 19,000 to 30,000 right in the middle of that banking crisis as uh, regional banks were going bankrupt. So it was a flight to safety. So uh, I thought that move was just as interesting. Hang on, a flight to safety? Is buying Bitcoin somehow a flight to safety? Isn't it a little too volatile for that? Well, if you think about it, uh, uh, Bitcoin serves as uh, two kinds of hedges. One is a hedge against inflation and outright confiscation of wealth. The other is against counterparty risk. And, uh, you know, when, when the regional banks started uh, going down, this fear sort of, uh, uh, you know, memory, uh, our memories are fresh with 0809, the counterparty risk uh became real. And so there was this flight into Bitcoin, a completely decentralized, transparent uh, network, which is not subject to counterparty risk. Uh, Kathy, so you are in this race. Let's talk about the race a little bit. The first important deadline coming up is August 13th, where the ARC filing, the SEC is either going to delay it, which we think they'll probably delay it. Um, and then BlackRock is later. You filed before BlackRock, but BlackRock came in with the surveillance sharing agreement with Coinbase. That was novel, right? Now we're looking in the future, there's talk of a common clock where the SEC could approve a bunch of ETFs at once, putting you on a level playing field with BlackRock and others. What's your take on how this will play out given you filed earlier? I, I think you're probably right that uh, August 13th will come and go. And uh, uh, I think uh, I think the SEC, if it's going to approve a Bitcoin ETF, will approve more than one uh, at, at, at once. Uh, so then, uh, again, because most of these essentially will be the same and it will come down to marketing, communicating the message. You know, we've been putting out our uh, Bitcoin monthly for the for the last uh, year uh, we are now starting a Bitcoin um, brainstorming session uh, our first one we launched last Thursday uh, so we're trying to get the word out there that uh, you know our research is deep and we've been doing it since 2015 when we gained our first exposure to GBTC, we were the first public asset manager to gain uh, exposure to Bitcoin at all in 2015. That's exactly where I want to go. The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, known by its ticker, GBTC. If you look at ARCW, for example, your ARC Next Generation Internet ETF, right now I see GBTC as the third largest holding. If we are in a situation where the SEC does give its blessing for a spot Bitcoin ETF, would you plan to sell out of GBTC and buy one of these physically backed funds? 
Um, I cannot talk about what we would and would not do. And in fact, uh, uh, our compliance team is, uh, um, you know, giving us marching orders not to talk very much about this filing and uh, its aftermath at all. So just the fact that we filed with our partner 21 shares is is as far as as I can go. Fair I'm sorry, enough. Katie. Fair enough. No, <laughs> I was expecting something along those lines. Uh, I am curious to get your take on the regulatory temperature right now, because in addition to this rush of spot Bitcoin ETF filings that we've seen, there's also been sort of a race that's unfolding for an Ether futures ETF. There's been a ton of filings to that effect and not specific to those funds. But do you sense that the moon music around the SEC and what their appetite to allow these products to launch has changed in the last several months? Well, I think that uh, that the two other branches of government, the judicial branch and the legislative branch, uh, are, are giving uh, the SEC pause uh, because the SEC is losing cases in court having to do with its regulations uh, around crypto. That's the first thing. And there are bills that are making their way through the House uh, and are seeing some bipartisan support. Uh, so I do believe that uh, Gary Gensler, I guess last week, said something like, well, you know, I'm not the only one who makes this decision. There are five commissioners. Now, of course, we know they're weighted uh, towards uh, the Democrats, three Democrats, two Republicans. And so one assumes that uh, uh, the way that Gary votes is the way the, the FCC will vote. But he seemed to be distancing himself a little bit. And so maybe we can take that as a bit of a clue. That was Kathy Wood, the CEO and CIO of ARK Investment Management, with Bloomberg's Matt Miller, Eric Balchunas, and Katie Greifeld on Bloomberg ETF IQ. And coming up here on Bloomberg Best, we'll continue with Wood on all the controversy around cryptocurrencies along with all the progress. And this is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Best. I'm Ed Baxter. And I'm Denise Pellegrini. Denise, we had the opportunity to talk with Kathy Wood, the CEO and CIO of ARK Investment Management, all about a topic so many people can't get enough of and really want to hear more about. Yeah, talking about cryptocurrency and other tech-related issues. And here are Bloomberg's Matt Miller, Eric Balchunas, and Katie Greifeld with Wood on Bloomberg ETF IQ. Let's listen back in. You have increased your position in Coinbase. It's also who your surveillance sharing agreement is with also. How much is it, how important is it that Coinbase is a bridge or compliant enough for the SEC in terms of working with traditional finance? Is your bullishness on this stock that they are going to be sort of the traditional finance bridge or is it other, you know, you think people are going to continue trading crypto on Coinbase? No, absolutely. Well, both. We think that it is the most regulatory compliant exchange uh, out there. And we've been very pleased with how its derivatives exchange in Bermuda has ramped in here. It's very early days, but again, clearly a trusted partner. And we are also seeing that there's more turmoil out there, I guess, uh, 
Hubei and uh, Tether and uh, Binance. There are rumblings out there that not as all all is well. And so Coinbase is going to be the flight to safety exchange, no doubt about it. And do you think the surveillance agreements with Coinbase are going to be enough to deal with things like price manipulation in this market? I mean, that's been one of the main concerns from the SEC lawyers with with whom we've spoken. What I find so interesting still, and this is uh, why we believe that the SEC will lose the grayscale case, how can you approve a Bitcoin futures ETF and not a Bitcoin ETF? And and in fact, if you're really thinking about consumer protection, a futures ETF is swap space. So there's counterparty risk there that you would not have with a Bitcoin ETF, which is backed one to one with uh, Bitcoin in Coinbase's cold storage. It still confounds me. And not to mention the, the point that Eric makes, which is that if there had been an ETF, a lot of people wouldn't have bought Bitcoin at FTX uh, and instead would use Correct. that vehicle. Uh, Kathy, real quick, I wanted to get in uh, the superconductor. This is something that's been and our team's getting obsessed about. You are an innovation fund. <laughs> I'm guessing you're looking at this. How much of this is hype and hope versus a potential legit reality, and how do you play it? Well, it was interesting. When we, when the news broke, uh, many people just thought it was a fraud. But our chief futurist, uh, Brett Winton, said, wait a minute. This is not a fraud. It can't be a fraud because it's so simple. And you could actually follow their instructions and duplicate this. We're going to find out pretty quickly. So we went from thinking, oh, maybe 10, 15 percent chance to now, while the markets, the betting markets are at 40 percent, I think we are more in the 60 percent plus range. So uh, and, you know, it it could uh, it could be the breakthrough we need for quantum computing or at least bringing it uh, into reality uh, from a commercialization point of view sooner than expected, Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, the high-speed trains. It could change so many things, and and particularly our electric system where, you know, we lose so much heat and data centers where we lose so much energy because of the inefficiencies associated with uh, current electricity. What's your current thinking around the equity market in China, and what opportunities are there or not? I think the, the government would be stimulating more aggressively if the yen were a little stronger. And it has been weakening, uh, and they're very careful about their currency. So I don't think they're going to be able to stimulate as much as many people might like or expect because the yuan is showing some fundamental weakness here. The fact that they're exporting deflation and uh, the yuan is down, that's, that's a double whammy uh, from China's point of view. That was Kathy Wood, the CEO and CIO of ARK Investment Management with Bloomberg's Matt Miller, Eric Balchunas, and Katie Greifeld on Bloomberg ETF IQ. And that's it for this edition of Bloomberg Best. Also featuring Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital on Bloomberg Wealth with David Rubenstein, part of our Best of Bloomberg series. I'm Ed Baxter. And I'm Denise Pellegrini. And this is Bloomberg. Now stay with us. Top stories and global business headlines are coming up right now.